The Matrix is populated with magical Negroes. There's always a Black person ready to give Keanu Reeves advice. You could argue that, you know, perhaps that is the white utopic future. (laughs) You know, all of us are in prominent positions of power, but we all exist just to help out the white protagonists. Like, we could be leaders, we could be generals, we could be presidents, whatever, but our only purpose is to help white people have all the sex that we're not having, basically. So welcome back, everyone, to Stuck with Damon Young, the show where the only magical Negro that we believe in is Jesus, because y'all need to get saved. So earlier this year, The Guardian ran a profile of Jamin Huntsu, where the Oscar-nominated actor lamented that his career hasn't been as successful as he believes it could have been. Of course, one of the reasons for this lack of success is the limited amount of roles that Hollywood makes available for Black actors. And one of these roles is the Magical Negro, a perpetually recurring trope in film, on screen, in literature, and politics, and even, strangely, on our food. And to rank some of the most well-known Magical Negroes in recent American cinematic history, I'm joined by Keep It host and pop culture maven Ira Madison. And then, for Dear Damon, the homie cultural critic Shamira Ibrahim joins us to help advise a woman whose husband has a habit that makes restaurant servers extremely uncomfortable. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. 
Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and Black is the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Pop Culture Maven, our Madison, is a host of Keep It, which is also a Crooked Media podcast. He also just returned from Coachella, so he might be contagious. Ara, what's good? Hey. I'm excited to be on your new show. Thank you. I saw you were at Coachella. I was. I was. How was that experience? You know what? Everyone has asked all week, like, how was Coachella? And I'm like, I had a great time. And then they, like, lower their voice. And, like, it's like they're looking around conspiratorially. <laughs> and they're like, how was Frank? <laughs> and he annoyed the fuck out of me. Um, but um, when doesn't Frank Ocean annoy the fuck out of me? So that was that. I was a little bit more pressed that like, because like Coachella like sort of like did a dip because of like that whole Frank thing. It seems like everyone else tried to step it up a bit more. There were like more guests who popped up for weekend two. And it, it seemed like I've missed out on a better Coachella weekend, but I had a good time. Was this your first no, I've gone. I'm, this is my fourth time. Your fourth time. Okay, so you're a vet. I went for Beyonce for the first time. That was the first thing that lured me to the desert. Okay. And then it turns out I love it. So I saw a couple of days ago that um, Zendaya and um, Labyrinth performed too. And I mm-hmm. I might have lost my mind if I would have saw that live. That would have been an unexpected loss of mine because I, I was sad about Neither that. of those two people are people that I would anticipate. You know, that I would put on the list of like people who I anticipate losing my mind for. But if I would have saw that live, right, I would have, yeah, it would have been a thing. They would have had to carry me out. <laughs> anyway, speaking of, I feel like Frank has almost, <laughs> in a way, become like a magical Negro. This is the most awkward, <laughs> most awkward segue ever. <laughs> I love, I love a segue. I love a segue. I love a bad segue. I love a good one. I love an awkward one. <laughs> I mean, he's maybe not magical Negro, but imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. Where if you tell people that Frank Ocean is your favorite artist, and it is almost at this point like telling someone you have an imaginary friend named, you know, Buttons or Knuckles or something like that. That, <laughs> you know, no one can see. <laughs> no one else can see except for you. No one else can hear except for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. According to this definition I got online, a magical Negro is a trope in American cinema, television, and literature, a supporting stock character who comes to the aid of white protagonists in the film. You know, also possesses special insights or magical powers and have long been a tradition in American fiction. Now, I've been thinking about magical Negroes because that's just what I do. Spend my time thinking about Frank Ocean <laughs> and magical Negroes. What are your favorite topics? My favorite, yeah, two favorite things. That's deep in my bag, in my wheelhouse. And, okay, so what's his name? That was uh, Blood Diamond. 
um, and also Amistad. Jimon Hudson. Jimon Hudson, yes. He has basically made an entire career out of playing a magical Negro. And there was a recent article where he expressed some reservations that he hasn't been a bigger star. And it makes sense because one thing that is always left out of this magical Negro definition is how Mm -hmm. thoroughly and diametrically sexless they are. <laughs> like magical Negroes don't fuck <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you have this beautiful man who was a model who still is extremely striking. You know, I'm thinking I've seen him in at least 15 movies and I cannot recall a time where he's had even a whiff of romance, even a whiff of a, like a sex scene in the movie. Mm. I mean, can you, am I am I blanking? Can you think of any time when he's been depicted in that way? You know what? I cannot. Actually, that's not true. I think the one time he was seen as like a um, sex object was in Beauty Shop with Queen Latifah. Okay, he was the love interest in Beauty Shop, and it's a black movie though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a black movie. Black movie, black director. And it took a black filmmaker to recognize, like, yo, this motherfucker is gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we're going to make him, you know, we're going to trade on the sex appeal. We're going to make him an object of affection in this manner. But again, this, the character is sexless. The character exists only for white people's consumption or the advanced plot, the advanced agenda of the white protagonist. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just a character that exists on screen or in literature. It also exists in real life where we have magical Negroes all around us. And so I want to play a game okay. with you today. We'll go through a list of magical Negroes mm-hmm. and I'm going to name one. I promise you the first one I name is going to be a surprise. Okay. And then from that point on, we are going to decide if the subsequent Negroes named should be above in terms of more magical mm-hmm. or less magical than the first person I named. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, did you watch Mirror of Easttown? Yes. Okay. Kate Winslet, Philadelphia area detective, trying to solve some murders. Also, Gene Smart is her mom. It's surprisingly funny, surprisingly sweet, really good show. Mm-hmm. It also had perhaps the greatest magical Negro in the history, or at least in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Kate Winslet has a daughter who is in high school. Her daughter is typical, angsty, punk, queer, white girl, blonde, whatever, has a, like, a pixie haircut, is in the band. All right. And then I forget exactly how it happens, but she ends up either performing at a college radio station mm-hmm. or ends up meeting the DJ of a college radio station. And this girl, she goes by DJ Ann. She is like a sophomore or junior in college, <laughs> right? She is beautiful, popular, you know, funny, witty, basically the perfect person. And it's like, you know what? I am going to fall head over heels for this 16-year-old white girl (laughs) from this fucked up family, 
right? <laughs> I, I, I just I just saw her one time, and she is going to be my girlfriend. I'm going to be obsessed with her. And then when the daughter was trying to decide about where to go to school, the DJ girlfriend gives her the perfect advice. Like, you know what? Fuck your family. Go to Berkeley. Don't stay. I don't know. You know, we had this great relationship, this great bond. You don't need to stay here with me. Go to Berkeley. Follow your dreams. Get the fuck away from these people. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Okay. And it's a character that combined the magical Negro with the manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that was the first time I'd seen that happen, too. And so, again, I feel like that she is the pinnacle. Right. But <laughs> there are some contenders. Some contenders to her throw. Let's go through the list. Mm-hmm. All right. And these are magical Negroes on screen and in real life. I left out the literary ones. So we're just going to do the on screen and real life ones. Okay. Ben Carson. Okay. Okay. What do we think? Is he above or below the line in his magical Negro qualities? And and again, for people, I'm sure everyone who listens to this is familiar with who Ben Carson is, but you might not be familiar with how ridiculous <laughs> Ben Carson is. <laughs> <laughs> for one, he sounds exactly like Kevin Costner when he speaks. They have the exact same voice. He also has a picture of Jesus in his house, but the Jesus looks like Rajon Rondo from the used to play for the Celtics, has the biggest hands of any deity that you would ever see. And the picture has Jesus with like a loincloth and he's like embracing Ben Carson from behind. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's enough. He's ridiculous enough. But where do you think that he rates above or below this line? I think below. Ben Carson is not successful enough at doing much to be a truly talented, magical Negro. You know, like he he doesn't have hands on the Book of Shadows. Like there's <laughs> there's no magic. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about Ben Carson in a minute. I do remember when he was getting his position in the Trump White House that I did tweet asking whether or not it would be in the house or the field. And that had me trending for two days in conservative <laughs> news outlets. So you Google Ira Madison and Ben Carson, <laughs> you will see that tweet. <laughs> and I mean, there's the list of problematic Negroes in politics is vast, right? Mm-hmm. But few match how absurd and ridiculous that Ben Carson is, right? Yeah, he's absurd. You know, he's not like Colin Powell, you know? Yeah. Like, He's doing shit in his own right. Like, there are Condoleezas, there's Colin Powell's, but, like, Ben Carson is just, like, a comedy routine. <laughs> so because his magic isn't effective, mm-hmm. we'll place him below. Even if you're annoyed at, like, the magical Negro character, like, there's empathy for this character from, like, the white audiences watching the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why their advice to the main white character is helpful to them. No one has empathy for Ben Carson. Touche. Too motherfucking Shay. Okay. The next person we're going to name is, is another politician. It's Carrie Lake, the politician, the election denier <laughs> from Arizona. And she's like, she's a double. She, she is the rare double election denier. You are a fool. <laughs> Denied the election Carrie result. Lake. But no, she's a triple. Well, no, she's a triple election denier. She denied the election results of Trump. She denied the election results of the Arizona governor's race, which she lost. 
And she denied the results of her DNA exam, basically, which everyone on the planet could see that this is a nigga, that she is <laughs> a, a Holly Berry from 1993 doppelganger. And she refuses. She has been cosplaying as a, as a typical white politician, Karen, for as long as she's been in the public eye. When we all can see, I know a dozen AKAs that look exactly like her. A dozen, at least, right? <laughs> but the thing is, she keeps losing. Mm. And because she keeps losing, I, I put her below that line. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I mean, what do you think? Denying the results of three different contests maybe could push you over the edge in terms of magic. I feel like that makes her more of like a henchman. Hmm. Okay. I can see that. So we'll place her below. Below Ben or above Ben? Below. Below Ben. And I think she stays there because she doesn't necessarily acknowledge that she's black. And and, and if there's anything, you know, the magical Negroes are very, very race conscious. If they weren't race conscious, they wouldn't be magical Negroes. You know what I mean? They would have more agency and they would fucking have sex if they weren't as race conscious. Right. And so Carrie Lake, yeah, I guess she rates below Ben. Mm-hmm. But also, Carrie Lake's husband, he's kind of attractive, you know? So she's probably getting it. Does she have too much sex appeal, even if it's this chaotic yeah. <laughs> <from> passing? <laughs> Inside the paper bag test sex appeal, but she may still have it. Does that negate her from being a magical Negro? Mm, yeah. Who we got next? All right, Morpheus. Morpheus from the Matrix. Mm, Morpheus is great. Where do we place him? And also, do you watch John Wick? Are you familiar with the John Wick franchise? I love John Wick. I mean, his character, the Bowie King, is kind of magical Negro-ish. Oh. And that... Too. Mm. Like his only cinematic purpose is to help John. Mm. And he just always played with pigeons like the woman from Home Alone. Yeah, or like Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I have not seen four yet, but no, he he's he sort of plays that role. He plays that role in John Wick more than he does in The Matrix, where you know he's at least got some other shit going on. But he's very much that in Matrix too. He's a little sexless in Matrix. He's just there to help Keanu. Actually. The Matrix is populated with magical Negroes. There's always a black person ready to give Keanu Reeves advice. You could argue that, you know, perhaps that is the white utopic future. (laughs) You know, all of us are in prominent positions of power, but we all exist just to help out the white protagonists. Like we could be leaders, we could be generals, we could be presidents, whatever. But our only purpose is to help white people have all the sex that we're not having, basically. Did Jada Pinkett get it on with anybody in Matrix 2? Well, she was supposed to get it. I mean, I guess Morpheus was her ex. Okay. And she was with the guy who was the commander or whatever. It's always an ex. Sometimes a magical Negro has like an ex or something. You know, like it's a black best friend in a movie, too. They're either married and you never see them with their husband or there was like an ex that they have they uh, are broken up with and they're giving out advice to the white woman. Why don't the magical Negroes fuck? Like, I I feel like I keep coming back to this. Like, what is the relationship between the magical Negroes and, like, this aggressive sexlessness Mm -hmm. that they all possess? It's usually just because white films usually have one purpose, right? So either you're, like, a hot-to-trot character Mm -hmm. or you are a helpful aide, you know? It's very one-dimensional. 
So there's not room for any other dimensions of, you know, you're not going to see them having sex because that has nothing to do with helping somebody, you know? Mm -hmm. If there was a movie about a white woman, you know, who needed help in the bedroom or love advice, I'm sure her magical Negro would be a black woman who's, you know, always fucking a different man every day. Well, to that point, there is one magical Negro that I can think of cinematic history who, who actually is in service to white people mostly white people because of how presumably adept he is mm. at sex and at romance. And that's Hitch. That's Will Smith and Hitch. Okay. <laughs> Where an entire movie was created <laughs> for this. <laughs> it's when you create an entire movie around a magical Negro, but you allow him to fuck or you, you allow him to at least have the, mm-hmm. the veneer of, of sex and you allow him to kind of embrace that a bit. So there is an example of that there. And I think that, I think that both Will Smith and Hitch and Morpheus kind of exist above Mm -hmm. the Savon girlfriend line, right? Because they were effective. They were effective in doing what they were doing, you know, because I think that ultimately we have to be efficient. We have to judge, you know, magical Negroes like, well, how well did you do your job? Mm -hmm. And if you didn't do your job well, then, you know, you weren't, maybe you weren't that magic. (laughs) <laughs> maybe you just had some spells just just a couple just a couple just like the the welcome to the disney channel one you know you just got one of those so all right uncle ben and not ben carson okay but uncle ben from the rice when i hear uncle ben my mind immediately goes to spider-man of course but yes there is uncle ben this you know there's lots of uncle ben's <laughs> i feel like there's too many uncle ben's you know what the rice man. That's a top tier magical Negro. Brings joy to white people, white families. His smiling face on the box suggests reliability. I think he also gave Tony Soprano an aneurysm in one episode where he saw a box of Uncle Ben's rice. <laughs> <laughs> Fainted. <laughs> so it's like the white people look so happy in like vintage Uncle Ben's commercials. Oh, there's never been a happier white family than the families in those commercials. Never, ever. Never been. The whole cooking crew are top tier. Okay? Uncle Ben. Aunt Jemima. The dude on the Zatarans box. Okay. Well, let's go Mr. Zatarain. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Zatarain. Uh, and actually, you can't even really see him. I'm looking at a box now. At least at the boxes I see, he's always just like a shadow. And he's also probably light-skinned because he's Creole. <laughs> okay, well, that, that puts him at the bottom of the list already. <laughs> yeah, that's right. the <laughs> also, I feel like black people, you probably use Zatarans the most. Like, mm-hmm. I've never been to a white home where they whipped out the Zatarans. But Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima, absolutely. I feel like Aunt Jemima probably nudges out Uncle Ben just because I think Aunt Jemima has brought joy to more white people. Yeah, she has. They were real sad when Aunt Jemima had to, you know, pack it up. They were devastated. Yeah, and I was like... Devastated. I was like, I know some of y'all devastated white people don't even have Aunt Jemima in the fridge, okay? Me, when the Aunt Jemima was canceled, I actually did have Aunt Jemima in the fridge. Because I loved Aunt Jemima. (laughs) I had Aunt Jemima in the fridge, even though the last time I had probably made pancakes were probably five years prior. Because I just feel like you always had Aunt Jemima in the house. Ira, we got to get you to upgrade to like the raw maple syrup. <laughs> we got to get you to do that. <laughs> okay. 
mistakenly enter mama in the cupboard. And we got to get you some real maple syrup. <laughs> and just a reminder, I mean, we're ranking magical Negroes, which is a cinematic trope, but magical Negroes exist everywhere. You know, they're on our boxes of rice. They're on our jars of syrup. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the movies. Mm-hmm. Hitch was effective. Yeah. You know, Hitch was an effective magical Negro who also fucked. Or there was also an implication that he was good at that, even though they didn't actually he didn't actually have a love scene or a sex scene in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's PG thirteen. All right. Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm I'm combining her characters on Ghost. Mm. Oscar winning. Oscar winning. Right. She was great. Great in that movie. Combining that with her recurring character on The View. <laughs> now, is she magical on The View? She's mostly just angry. Angry, well, angry at Megan McCain. I guess she's about she's helpful in other regards to white women who watch The View other days. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I'll admit that I had to squint a bit to, to kind of nudge her in with The View. Now, with Ghosts, it's basically the definition of man. I mean, she was literally magic in that movie. Um, but the view, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, you have this morning show, you're bringing joy to this audience as predominantly white women, right? You exist kind of as a foil for the rest of the guests to kind of bounce their sensibilities off of. But again, maybe she doesn't fit the same way, mm-hmm. but with Ghost, she definitely fits. And and I feel like her character in Ghost is basically the preeminent the prime the thanos <laughs> right of, of, of magical negroes like I, I don't know if you get any better maybe morgan freeman and bruce almighty because he was literally god yes morgan freeman in most movies to be honest although i would say not to really in most movies because you know like most of the time like i would give him magical negro status when he's like linked up with ashley judd you know like those are just two bad bitches Solving crimes. <laughs> was that the? I feel like that was the original title. <laughs> not, not kiss the girls, but two two bad bitches. That would would have done much better in the theaters. By the way, people want to talk about getting people back into the theaters. You you know you know when we lost our way. You know when movies will get white and black audiences back into the theaters. Older black man and a white woman actress that we all like solving some crimes. Ashley Judd, Angelina Jolie, Bone Collector. You know, like, like, give us those movies again. Who would be the equivalent today? Like, mm, maybe like a Jennifer Lawrence. I feel like we like her. Okay, so Jennifer Lawrence and but Jennifer Lawrence or Brie, but but I'm like, who is the older actor? I mean, like anybody up in Black Panther. So like Forrest Whitaker, or yeah. is Forrest Whitaker too old? Maybe too old. You know, I'm thinking like Mahershala. Mahershala would be good. Mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown would be perfect. Okay. But I think Mahershala also, though, actually, I take that back. I think Mahershala is better mm-hmm. because Mahershala has more of like a world weariness yes. and an edge yeah. to him that Sterling K. Brown just doesn't really have. I was going to say Idris, but Idris is too much where like Idris would have to be the lead character who's mentoring like. Mm-hmm. So like it, the movie would be about him, you know? Okay. So... Hollywood, make that happen. Yeah. Mahershala right. Ali, Brie Larson, or someone else just solving a movie about white girls getting cut up. 
This could be the sequel to Mayor of Easton. This could be the next season. Mahershala of Easttown. <laughs> yeah, just, just make it like a true detective. <laughs> have a different cast every year. And this time it's in Pittsburgh. Mayor of Pittsburgh. I'd watch that. I'd watch the fuck out of that. <laughs> All right. Last one before we leave. Barack Obama. This is a hard one. This is a hard one, David. Because what era of Obama? Oh, we're talking 2007, Hopi Changey. Oh. Everyone's rocking to Obama t-shirts. Then he's the best to ever do it. Right. So you think he goes above Whoopi? Yeah. Barack Obama is the best to ever do it. Okay? The <laughs> maybe, maybe Will Smith, you know? Is above him, but we got to see Will Smith have somewhat have sex and be sexy, you know, and be like, we got to see Fresh Prince and Bad Boys, you know. So like, there are more dimensions. Um, I'm talking about the both of them at the height of their fame, you know, not post presidency Barack, where everyone writes an essay about how they secretly hate Obama now, or Will Smith post a slap. I mean, like you had people, like you said, rocking Obama shirts. I was. In Chicago at the time, because mm-hmm. I was at Loyola Chicago for undergrad, I was hugging random white people <laughs> in the park because I went to the I went to the park for his acceptance speech. Oh wow! Like when, when he won, like I went down to the park and I was sobbing. I was hugging white people. I was in it. Okay, that was a magical Negro for white people, but also for black people at that time, too. Okay, we fell under the spell. I mean, that night, you might have me beat because that night I had my head out the window and it was like a parade was happening in the street. Mm. And I was screaming the lyrics to my president is black. (laughs) 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 But um, okay, so Barack Obama from like 2006, 2008 is the greatest magical Negro in history. Yes. And then whatever you feel about like the first presidency, you know, whatever, I feel we're still in the happiness, you know, like the sequel to that movie, the 2012 election. It's a little rough, but he still got that same power. You know, it's a good sequel. It wasn't quite Godfather 2, but it wasn't Godfather 3 either. Yeah. Right. Like Scream 2. It was Scream 2. <laughs> it was Scream you 2. You know? All right. <laughs> Ira Madison, thank you for coming through. Appreciate it. Where can people find you? What are you working on now? What you got going on? Just listen to Keep It every Wednesday. I ain't got nothing else going on right now. Okay. I'm finishing my book still. Then I'll be like you, talking about my book. I'm No, you'll be like, you, you are like me right now. When people ask what I'm doing, I'm working on some books. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm doing a podcast and I'm working on some books. <laughs> So you are me. You need to aim higher. (laughs) Don't want to be like me. (laughs) Coming up next, Stamen hates the part of the show where I talk about shit that I hate because I hate a lot of shit. And then after that, dear Damon. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling 
and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. So I've never been much of a joiner. Like, I'm not a person who was in any fraternities. I don't join any social clubs. I was in the Urban League Young Professionals for a couple of years, but that was only because of Groupons and access to them. And so, I don't know, there's a part of me that just doesn't like doing things that everyone else is doing. And so, when I left Twitter last year, it was just because I had spent enough time there I felt like I had reached like a critical mass of like my engagement and my interest and my anxiety about posting. And it just wasn't a space for me anymore. And so I was one of the people who left. I've been gone for about a year and a half now. And now Elon Musk, whatever the fuck his name is, his fuck shit, everyone else is leaving. I don't feel like one of the cool kids anymore because everyone else is leaving. One of the reasons why I wanted it to exist because I wanted I'm gone from Twitter to be its own personality trait, right? But now, since everyone else is leaving Twitter because he's fucking Twitter up, or, you know, if it's not my own personality trait, I'm like swallowed in by everyone else who has leaving for this one reason. And he is not the reason I left. I left before him. I left because of the platform and because it just wasn't the space for me anymore. But now when I tell people I'm not on Twitter anymore, they associate it with the reason why everyone else is not on Twitter anymore. And I fucking hate that. Next, for Dear Damon, we're joined by Shamir Ibrahim, friend, cultural critic, Morgan, the producer. What we got this week? Dear Damon, my husband is genuinely interested in other cultures, languages, and especially their food. He will often offer a guest or ask a server or employee of a business during a transaction their country or language of origin. This makes me really uncomfortable, but I haven't found an effective way of explaining why this is inappropriate. People are universally polite. They have to be. How can I make him understand how they might be feeling inside despite their polite smiles? Shamira, (laughs) welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm assuming we're going in with the assumption that this is a white couple, right? Yes, yes, I think that's safe assumption to make that this is a white couple. Although I, I have something on that later, but let's start with that. I think that distinction matters to ask, though, because, um, for example, me as someone of international origin, right? Like when you ask somebody, hey, 
where are you from? Especially being from New York. That's like a thing that actually is asked commonly, right? Like, hey, where are you from? Mm -hmm. Sometimes what you're really asking is, I'm from somewhere that's not just America, right? And I see something of myself in you. Are you also from somewhere international? Do we have something in common, right? You know, as opposed to, well, hey, you're exotic. I'm a fetishist. <laughs> Let's be fetishists and creep <laughs> on you as warriors together, right? You know, that's yeah. like just the nuance that I'm really trying to kind of suss out there, right? There's a nuance to, hey, I'm looking for common ground versus, hey, I'm really just trying to force you to be peered at like a zoo animal, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, like that enchilada was spicy and you also <laughs> seem a little spicy, right, so... Right. Where are you from? You know, I really, really like to <laughs> try my, you know, New York Times cooking subscription a lot. And so as a result, I'm really into Mexican food, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's important context to consider. Also, I think situation matters. Like, if you're in a social setting where conversation is expected, like if you're at like some sort of happy hour or some sort of mixer or some sort of cookout, and you're already in conversation with a person, then that sort of question is just more organic, more natural. But you have the power and balance of a server who is doing their fucking job. And you just randomly ask them, like, yo, where are you from? And the thing is, in certain cities, right. that could be a threat. Like, that could be a, are you documented? Right. Also know that people are generally going to lie to you, right? <laughs> right. Like. For example, I take Ubers all the time. You know, people see my name because I haven't bothered to change it, you know, and my name is Arabic, right? You know, and so there's people, both people of Arab descent, as well as people who are just, I guess, Arab culture and Arab history enthusiasts who be like, oh, that's an Arab name. Are you Muslim? Are you Arabic? I am Muslim, right? I'm not of Arab descent, right? But sometimes I'll be like, oh, no, that's interesting, (laughs) You know, just because I don't want to get into the conversation. I don't I don't feel like it that day. Right. You know, I don't feel like having the conversation about, you know, exploring our joint heritages or for whatever reason, you're that white you know, person who took Arab studies in college. and You really want to get into discussing whatever my heritage is. And I just don't feel like it. So all of a sudden, I'm going to pretend I have no idea what the hell you're talking about that day. Right. You know, and that happens. Right. That's a general thing. My friends mm-hmm. joke about the Somali surveillance state. Right. You know, where somebody will notice that your name seems Somali. All of a sudden, you'll pretend that you're, you know, uh, another East African country. Right. Like, it's just some people don't feel like engaging you <laughs> on your terms. Right. Just because you want to be the person who feels like you are doing something friendly, right? Especially people who are from, like you mentioned, marginalized groups. You might think that you're being welcoming, but to them, they just feel like they're actually just being monitored or surveilled, right? Like they don't actually feel like that's a friendly gesture. They just feel like they're being encroached upon. Yeah. And honestly, the basic litmus test for that sort of thing is let them offer that to you first, right? You know? If they speak a different language, are they speaking it in front of you, right? If they're not speaking it in front of you, you don't need to ask them, but they speak a different language, right? You know, like Mm -hmm. if they have a different faith practice or if they do something, have they offered that to you first? If it's just someone who you're literally having a transactional relationship with, you probably don't need to go that far out of your way to even ask them such invasive questions. You're literally having an interaction that's so far as them trying to get their job done and go, right? You know, you're never going to see that person again. Yeah, I feel like that's the part that is the piece that really determines the tenor of conversation and interaction is this person is doing a job 
mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a server or uh, someone at a restaurant or an Uber driver or whatever, and they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. They are trying to get you out of the door as quickly and as safely and as efficiently as possible. And again, this power imbalance where they don't know where you're coming from. They don't know what your agenda is and asking this question. And also, how many times that day have they been asked that question? Right. You know what I mean? How many times have they been asked? Are they tired of hearing that? Again, it's not wrong. In fact, it's good to have a genuine curiosity, to have a genuine mm-hmm. interest. But I think the thing that's necessary, and I'm not saying this person doesn't have this, but they need to lean more on this, mm-hmm. is a genuine empathy for how a person in that circumstance might feel. And I guess to answer this person's question, this is one of those questions where the person could just say what they say in the question. It's like, hey, this might make people uncomfortable. I would prefer that you stop doing this. Right. Yeah. I don't even think you have to make it like super deep or give some sort of like yeah. great nuanced answer about intersectional experiences or whatever. Just, hey, you don't need to do all that. Right. Relax. Stop it. Talk about anything else. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, because like I was reading this question and I'm just thinking of other circumstances where people that I'm with in social settings, particularly like in restaurants, have like kind of embarrassed me and and maybe embarrassed is too far, but have made me kind of cringe a little bit. And there have been times when I've been like out with my dad, Mm -hmm. right, at restaurants, and my dad has a habit of whistling at people. Oh, no. That's just what he does. And he needs a loud, like, two fingers in the mouth whistler. Oh. That's how he communicates with me. Not the, like, 1980s New York taxi call. Like. That's <laughs> how so he communicates with the kids. And so mm-hmm. imagine, you know, you're in a restaurant and you hear someone do that to get the attention of a server. Not, <laughs> it's like, like damn, I would say on, that feels racist, on, but he's black. Yeah. So I don't even know what to say about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And so it, it's one of those things. I mean, have you ever been cool with a person who was a demonstratively and consistently bad tipper? Not a bad tipper, but really just abrasive to service people. Right. Like it made me uncomfortable to the point that I had to be direct about it. Like just okay. really sharp. Like the second something went wrong, like it had to be addressed immediately. And like mm-hmm. and like the tone immediately shifted in a way that I was like, listen, I get that there's like a spot on your fork or your knife or whatever, and you have to have it addressed right now, but like, dog, it'll be addressed in three minutes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's no reason for you to sub pan him on this. You could just name him if you're, <laughs> you're talking about him. <laughs> I actually was not, funnily enough. <laughs> so, you know, just fucking with, fucking with Panama. It's our, our, our friend, our mutual friend. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, in those situations, I tend to be the person who just like quietly like handles my shit separately because I'm just not I'm not sitting around to deal with that fiasco, right? Um, and so I'll, I'll usually address it with the server separately. But what I will say in like just response to the general question is the other part. If you want to get specific with your partner, is like even if you think you're connecting with the person, like it's really actually not for them. It's really for you, right? Like, and I can speak as someone who's like from an obscure country or whatever, right? My family's from a small country in East Africa called Comoros Islands. Like most people don't know where that country is unless you have a really, really strong knowledge of the Swahili coast, right? And so whenever people ask, oh, where are you from? I generally like head it off immediately. Like you don't know it or whatever, right? But all of a sudden everyone wants to become geography experts. Like, no, I have a really strong knowledge of Africa. I'm like, okay, sure, right? I'm from the Comoros Islands. It's like, 
oh, wow. Yeah, that's near uh, Ethiopia, right? No, it's not, right? You know what I mean? And now we're doing this whole thing, right, where you want to play a trivia game with me, right? And I'm like, I wasn't here to play Trivial Pursuit, right? Like, that's not what I actually signed up for this conversation on. I actually just wanted to hang out at this goofy networking event, right? But you wanted to prove your knowledge of African history. Like, so now we're here doing this goofy thing. And so, like, that's a thing that it tends to evolve into for anybody, even if you're not necessarily from a, quote unquote, more remote country, right? You could be from anywhere. You could be from you know, Mexico, and someone's like, oh, yeah, I just went to Playa del Carmen last year. What the fuck does that have to do with where the person's from? They're from Mexico City, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that's how people choose to identify or connect. And they're going to nod and smile and be like, oh, that's amazing. And in their head, they're probably going to be like, you're really goofy, right? You know, but they're not going to be allowed to say that to you. And so it's like, that's actually really not for them at all, no matter what you think it is. It's really for you to feel important and cultured and as if you know things and you don't know anything about that person, really, right? Like, you might think you know something, but it's really actually in no way a tangible connection to that person's lived experience. Shamira, you bro, thank you (laughs) for joining us. I mean, you know, I try. You you know, I, I appreciate the effort. I really do. I appreciate you coming through. I always, It's always a pleasure to be in the same space, to be on the same Zoom, to be on the same screen with you. What's happening in your life? What are you working on now? Aside from evading my literary agent because I haven't finished my book proposal yet. <laughs> um, same as usual. You know, you can see me on these internet streets publishing features. I just published something for Huffington Post about Little Richard's documentary, which is out now on Amazon Prime. Spoke with Lisa Cortez, the director, about it and took some time to watch it as well. I recommend people watch it. Also, of course, wrote about Swarm, which, you know, that was a while ago, but um, wrote about that for BuzzFeed News. Rest in peace, BuzzFeed News. Um, have a couple more things on the way, so keep a lookout for that. You know, you can... Follow me on Twitter for as long as that exists at underscore Shamgod. Um, I am on Instagram at Shamira the First. Um, I also have a Substack, um, Shamira the First. Yeah. Did you buy Twitter Blue? Did you of do course that? not. Like my inherent New York City stubbornness. Like I would literally <laughs> rather throw eight dollars <laughs> the subway tracks than ever give Elon a dollar money. <laughs> All right. All right. Again, just want to thank Ira Madison and Shamira Ibrahim. Great guests, great conversation. Thank you for coming through. Also, just thank you all for listening. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you came. You're here with me. So thank you for that. Thank you for supporting Stuck With Damon Young. And remember, subscribe, listen for free on Spotify. There's so many buttons that you can hit on your phones. Just hit them. Subscribe, listen, tell a friend. And again, if you have a question, it doesn't matter how obscure, how esoteric, how just inside baseball-y that the question is, just ask it. It doesn't matter. Hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. Our executive producers, Kendra James. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gilwalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. 
From Gimlet and Spotify, our executive producers are Crystal Halls-Dressler, Lauren Silverman, Nicole Beamster-Bauer, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam. Follow and subscribe to Stuck on Spotify. All you have to do is hit the bell icon at the upper left section of the show page to get notifications every time an episode drops. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.